Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 30 The tension melted from Adequin's shoulders, and she slumped back in the pilot's seat, wiping the sweat from her brow. The synthesis's cockpit had filled with a heavy quiet, marked only by ragged breathing. Jackin broke the silence first, letting out a noise equal parts growl and hearty laugh. Good fucking void, Rake. How many times in one day can you save us by almost killing us? Griffith chuckled, but it cut off with a sharp wince as he held a hand firmly to his ribcage. Don't make me laugh, North he pleaded. I think the adrenaline scrubbed all the painkillers out of my system. Adequin sighed. In all the chaos, she'd completely forgotten about how injured both Jackin and Griffith were. She unhooked her harness and slid to the front edge of her seat, shaking out her arms, the adrenaline drop causing her muscles to tremble. Yeah, we should get you both to the med bay, but let's run a quick systems report to be safe. Griffith, Jackin and Yura cycled through status screens for every system so Adequin could take stock of the total damage they'd taken. Other than some probably slightly melted heat sink coils and completely exhausted shields, the worst outcome was the dent they'd put in the ammunition reserves. Despite the all-green propulsion diagnostic, she had Jackin add a full warp drive assessment to the to-do list. Considering the horrific noise it had made on activation, she wouldn't feel comfortable sending the synthesis out again until it had been looked at. Though if Puck had figured out how to get the gate turned on, they wouldn't need it. After a restoring atmosphere, she sent Griffith and Jackin ahead to the med bay, then unlocked the bulkheads, unsealed the vents, and returned the ship to its default state. She instructed Yura to hold down the cockpit, giving assurance that she'd send someone to relieve her shortly. Adequin was disappointed, but not surprised, to discover the shoddy state of the synthesis's poor excuse for a med bay, which the drudgers had treated more as a storage closet. The oculi had already removed dozens of crates in an effort to unearth a narrow counter of unused supplies. Griffith stood head low at the foot of a filthy exam table, on which lay Ivana, unmoving, unbreathing. The blood that stained her uniform had dried to a dark crimson, a sharp contrast to her colorless skin and pale blue lips. Warner approached Adequin with the telltale clinking of loose dog tags, and a swell of bile rose up into the back of her throat. She closed a fist around the cold metal as he passed them to her. Her vitals bottomed out before we even got her on board, Warner said, eyes downcast. And we couldn't find any kind of medbot, or even just a damn transfusion kit, anywhere in this cluttered mess. Adequin's gaze drifted across the ransacked state of the counters and cupboards. They'd clearly done their best to try and find help in time. Though plenty of cartridges and a handful of biotools lay strewn around the small room, synthesizing blood was one thing a biotool could not do. Warner gave Griffith a wary glance, then looked back at Adequin. I'm sorry, sir. She shook her head and gave his shoulder a firm grip. You did all you could. She lowered her voice. Take a couple of others and just wrap her the best you can. Make room in cold storage in the mess. We'll do a proper send-off once we're back on Karin. Warner nodded. Yes, sir. He motioned to Arandus and the two oculi from the Tempest, and together they carried Ivana out of the med bay. Adequin cleaned up Jackin's burns, then stuck him with a painkiller syringe and sent him and the other oculi straight back to the helm. The door to the med bay had barely sealed behind Jackin before Griffith had his arms around her. He hugged her close, and she leaned into him, letting the embrace sieve out some of her residual tension. I'm sorry about Ivana. It's not your fault, he said, then cleared his throat. 
and we'd all be dead if it weren't for you. Not a ship captain my ass. That was some damn fine captaining. That was just flying. No, that was leading, and technically there was very little actual flying. You helped, which you shouldn't have. You'd rather I let Yura sit co-pilot. Jack could have done it. Sure, but I think it was a damn good thing we had him on weapons. I can't say I could have pulled off what he did with those guns. Void, tell me about it, she agreed. Was he a gunner at some point? Not that I know of. Griffith let out a quiet rasp and tried to mask a wince. He glanced down, gripping his temples between his thumb and forefinger. Come on, she said, taking him by the elbow. We need to do a full scan. His eyes flashed up, bloodshot and dry. I'm fine, it's only a headache. She leveled a flat look at him. Don't think I haven't noticed all your grimacing and wheezing. You survived that deceleration against all odds, but you're still plenty hurt. You need to rest. Me, he asked, eyebrows high, his gaze skimming over her cheeks. Between that shiner and those half-heeled burns, you look a wreck compared to me. Nice try. You've been overdoing it since the second you woke up. Just give me some apexidone, I'll be fine. She set her jaw, pointing curtly to the exam table. Scan, now. He scratched his chin. Okay, okay, if it'll make you feel better. But first, sorry, I have to know. She quirked an eyebrow. What? Did you really name a ship the SGL? She gave a weak shrug. I couldn't think of anything else. Really, nothing else, he said, voice high with skepticism. Because I can think of a hundred different names right now, just off the top of my head. Sorry, all I could think about at the time was you. A wide grin spread across his face. Aw, oh, damn. You're really sweet on me, huh, Moacare? She made to smile, but her lips twitched. Her amusement extinguished along with the reminder of Lace's final words. Griffith still didn't know what had happened to her. Heat rose to Adequin's face, and her breath caught as she looked down, kicking at the floor with the toe of her boot. She crossed her arms low and tight over her stomach as it heaved with an acidic burn. Oh, shit, Griffith said quietly. What did I do? What's wrong? She swallowed the sour lump forming at the back of her throat. Lace told me what that means. My anchor. Oh, she did, huh? He tightened his arms around her back. Well, it's apt. You're what brings me back from the divide. She looked up and the warmth in his eyes vanished in an instant. His brow lined deep and he licked his lips slowly. What is it? She swallowed more acidic phlegm. She's gone, Griff. I'm so sorry, I tried, but- His grip on her loosened, shoulders dropping as he took a half step back. I'm sorry, she said again. I know how much she meant to you. He nodded as his vacant gaze drifted over her shoulder. I'm sure it doesn't help, but you should know we'd never have made it off the Argus without her. She died saving us. Her throat burned with more swells of bile, a sharp ache tightening under her ribcage. So many people are dead, Griff. I couldn't save- his chest swelled as he blew out a heavy breath, then pulled her into him. She clamped her eyes shut, dampening his vest as a few tears pressed out. He stepped back, keeping hold of one of her hands. What happened? Pushing out a trio of long breaths, she did her best to clear away her worry and guilt and dread long enough to explain everything that had happened since they parted ways. He was shocked to hear about the Argus, and equally as shocked that someone managed to convince her to board the Hermes and escape. 
When she told him how that went down, his expression tightened, equal parts amused and resentful. She wasn't sure if he planned to thank or punch Puck later, or both. News of Augustus Mercer's cloned drudger army, her brief and unproductive interaction with Poingate, and the cryptic Viator message left him looking just as bemused and fatigued as she felt about the whole thing. I just can't figure out what we're supposed to do next, she explained, chewing the inside of her lip as she picked at her nails. There's no directive that even comes close to covering this situation. Except maybe the outer colony abandonment protocols, I guess. But that doesn't even really apply. We never got an official withdrawal order, and there's certainly no insurmountable enemy force to trigger it without one. So technically, as the final point of egress, we should be holding Karin Gate until contacted. Either way, until we get that gate functional again, we're stranded out here, and the Legion has disappeared. Fuck the Legion, Quinn, Griffith said dismissively. She stood straighter, surprised by the vehemence in his tone. We don't need them to survive this. She swallowed down a lump in her throat, and he gripped her hand tighter. But you need to get this guilt trip shit out of your system he continued, and you really gotta stop pretending like the Legion is gonna rally behind us. Her cheeks warmed. So that's it, she said, aware of how desperate she sounded. We're just on our own. Has Lujan called back? She shook her head. Then yeah, we're on our own. Her shoulders fell, and she pinched the bridge of her nose. Hey. He took her hand back to force her to look at him again. You can do this, Rake. If anyone can, it's you. I know we've lost a lot, but there's still soldiers out there depending on you. You make the call and they'll follow you, you know that. But hundreds of their comrades have died in the last day. They need to see you steadfast, not questioning yourself, not sitting around waiting for orders that might never come and not wallowing in guilt. She bit her lip. So what you're saying is get the fuck over it? He smiled. Basically. Thanks for the pep talk. Anytime. Griffith wrapped an arm around her shoulders and pulled her into the crook of his neck. Don't stress, Quinn, he said into the top of her head. We'll get back to Karin, regroup, then figure out what's going on. Kill some drudgers, maybe some viators, save the fucking universe. She sniffed a laugh, and he continued. Then we'll retire to Myrden, build a house on the beach, and everyone will leave us the fuck alone. She scrunched up her nose. Myrden? Wherever you want, name it. I was thinking Sobrius too, slightly more temperate. Sobrius too it is. She smiled. Happily ever after. Fucking happily ever after, he agreed. Then his tone softened. Just a hiccup first, more care. This is quite the hiccup. Griffith's breath hitched, and he held a firm hand to the bottom of his ribcage as he tried to hide a scowl. Okay, no more retirement planning, she said, tone firm. Time to do this scan. To her relief, he didn't argue, simply nodded with lips set in a tight, grim line, pain furrowing his sweat-drenched brow. Adequin picked through the crates left around the room, collecting a handful of supplies that might be useful, then moved on to the cupboards where she unearthed a never-before-used disinfectant atomizer. She used it to clear the dried blood off the padded exam table, then summoned her imprints to help Griffith get up onto it. She laid him back onto the reclined surface, then began a full internal scan with a bio-tool. His headache quickly escalated into a full migraine, and when he started to dry heave into Warner's discarded EVA helmet, she grabbed a second bio-tool and injected him with the only above-average useful thing she'd found in the entire med bay, a multi-purpose hangover syringe that would help with pain, nausea, and dehydration. 
When the scan completed, it confirmed most of what they'd already known. The damage had been restricted to Griffith's torso, and outside of a few bruised ribs, added nothing serious to his docket of injuries. At least nothing the biotool could diagnose. When he started to doze off, Adequin couldn't bring herself to leave him alone in the shitty room, to leave him lying where Ivana had been just minutes ago. So she called Jackin on her nexus to check in, then dragged a stool beside the table and laid her head onto Griffith's chest. He groggily lifted a hand and ran his fingers through her hair, dragging them gently across her scalp. After a few minutes, his hand drifted to a rest and his breaths came slow and deep, synchronizing with hers. Despite the sense of relief that sank in, her chest remained heavy with guilt. She swallowed hard. I'm sorry, Griff. For what? He rumbled. For sending you away again, for not warning you in time. No way, he said, the grogginess disappearing from his tone. We're not doing that. It's my fault, the fuck it is. He lifted her face to meet his gaze. The lines around his eyes ran deeper, and his dark brown skin had taken on a cool tinge. He looked tired, old, but his warm eyes shone with determination. You didn't know what was happening before we left. There's nothing you could have done. It may not be directly my fault, but I should have seen it coming. The signs were there. No, he said again, tone even more adamant. I've watched you wither from guilt over the last five years about what happened on Paxis. Like hell, I'm going to let this extend that even further. I know you think I'm too hard on myself about that. That's an understatement. But there's something I never told you about what happened. His brows knit. She took a deep breath, then hesitated. He'd gone this long without knowing. What good would it do now? But Griffith knew everything about her, except that. It had been the only thing she'd ever kept from him, and that didn't feel right anymore. They'd come too close to death too many times in the last 24 hours. She didn't want either of them to die with a lie left between them. Why are you still beating yourself up about it? He asked. The targets got away. It happens. It's not your fault. It was Lujan's decision to cover it. They didn't get away. What? He asked, his voice a dull croak. Yes, they did. I was with you. Not at the end. You were confirming the mountain pass was clear, and I was already inside. I think I would have noticed a bunch of corpses once I got there. She shook her head. So they were never there? He asked. Bad intel? I let them go. He didn't respond in any perceivable way, expression blank as he stared back at her, unblinking. He cleared his throat quietly. You, what? She just nodded slowly. He blew out a heavy breath. Why? She looked down at her hands, entwined in Griffith's thick, calloused fingers. I couldn't. That's why I'm hard on myself about it. I still can't say whether I did the right thing. He didn't speak, but when she looked back up at him, his confusion had disappeared, replaced with serious, intent concern. His jaw tightened. You're not kidding, are you? No. What do you mean you let them go? I just, I couldn't do it. I was standing there with a gun to the head of the last breeder. And they were staring back at me. And all I could think was, I would be the last thing any Viator would ever see. Right, which was the whole objective, he said, voice thick with bewildered disbelief. The whole point of the campaign, hell of the war. 
She cast her gaze down, unable to stomach the astonishment in his bloodshot eyes. I know, Griff. Unwinding his fingers from hers, he sat up, swinging his legs over the edge of the exam table. He groaned along with the too sudden movement. Hey, take it easy, she warned, holding up a steadying hand. I'm fine, he grumbled. In my debrief, Lujan said, like you said, he covered it up. He just altered the details slightly for your version. You mean he covered up his fucking cover-up? You know how bad it was before Paxis Griff, she said, the inside of her mouth suddenly bone dry. Lujan didn't want to keep watching people die. Recruitment had bottomed out. The last thing he wanted was another conscription. You're deifying him even more than normal, Rake, he growled, his deep voice wavering with anger, a scowl lining his sweat-slicked forehead. The muscles in his neck wrung taut, and he tugged at his collar to loosen it. Lujan may have had his reasons for lying, he went on, but don't think for a second it's because he cared about whether we lived or died. She took a dry swallow, trying to steady her racing pulse to keep her response even. You're right. He knew what it meant to be a soldier. It was never about our lives. But it trickles down. The population was, is, still in decline and only getting worse. He knew humanity couldn't afford for the resurgence to turn into another thousand-year war. Griffith shook his head. That doesn't mean you just throw in the towel and give up when you're within arm's reach of victory. He made a hard call, but you know it was the right one, she argued. And it's not like he had a choice. Even if he'd wanted to pursue them, they were already in the wind. It could have taken years, if not decades, to find them. Right, because you... He glowered, and his lips twisted as if he'd tasted something bitter. Let them go. Adequin ground her teeth. What difference does it make whether they escaped or I let them go? They're still alive either way. You never questioned that before. Because now I know you had a choice. The disappointment lining his tone sent a wave of nausea through her. She certainly hadn't expected a forgiving or even empathetic response, but she hadn't expected sheer anger either. It rolled off him in palpable waves as he steadied himself and rose to standing, shoulders hunched. It makes a difference, Rake, he went on. If you would have just shot the damn breeder like you were supposed to, Lujan wouldn't have had to decide whether to cover it up or not, whether to go after them or not. You held humanity's future in your hands, and you- He trailed off, his gaze glossing over as he broke eye contact and stared down at his boots. He tugged at his collar again, his fingernails scratching at his volacris tattoo. She cleared her throat, but her voice still came out weak. I was trying to be merciful, Griff. He barked out a bitter laugh. Why? They were never merciful to us. The only reason Lujan had to worry about population decline in the first place was because the bastard spent a thousand years ruthlessly exterminating us. And when that wasn't enough, they weaponized sterility so we couldn't keep making more human fodder to throw at them. That was hundreds of years ago, and there's no definitive proof that was engineered. Bloody void, he growled, disgust pinching his brow. Not this again. Think about what we saw firsthand in the resurgence. They weren't even a shadow of the monsters they'd been made out to be. That could all be myth for all we know. You try telling that to Mesa, he fumed, and a blistering spike lanced between her ribs, stilling her breath. Ask her how pleasant those POW camps were, and whether or not she thought the Viators might be misunderstood while she watched them torture and kill her family and friends. Void, I know that, Adequin hissed through clenched teeth. There's no question of how they treated the savants, but it's a different- Different, he snapped. No, 
The only difference is that instead of a nuisance to be exterminated like we were, they saw the savants as their fucking property. If they weren't being used like lab animals, then they were just cattle to be bartered to the SC. And all because what? The savants didn't want to fight. They wanted to have their own lives, their own culture, and weren't being obedient mutts coming to heal like the drudgers. Hot tears rose to Adequin's eyes, and she tried to shake her head, but it came out a short, rigid jerk, her muscles gone stiff with anger. That's not what I meant, Griffith. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for not stopping it when you had the chance. It can't be that cut and dry. Not every one of them can be a monster. How would you like to be held accountable for every terrible action every other human took? No, no way. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. And you certainly don't get to use it as an excuse. If you have a chance to end all that pain, you take it. After nine years of slogging through our friends' corpses, I'd think you would have understood that. Her nails dug into her palms as her fists clenched tighter and her imprints buzzed up the backs of her arms. You don't hesitate, he continued. You don't question what's right or wrong when you've been fighting the same fight for a decade. You do what you were called there for, whether or not you feel good about it. That's not fair, she said. Think about what command was asking me to do. Can you honestly say if you'd been the one in that cavern that day, you wouldn't have hesitated, even the slightest? He licked his lips as he shook his head, scratching the back of his neck. Fuck, maybe it's my fault. Her brow furrowed. What? That's not what I meant. I thought it'd be safest to send you on. That I needed to hang back and make sure we weren't getting flanked. That we could actually escape the planet alive instead of marching straight to certain death with no escape route. Never in a million years would I have guessed I needed to be there to make sure you'd go through with it. She scowled, letting a prickling wave of heat rekindle her anger. You're right. Maybe if you had taken point, you would have been there to pull the trigger instead of me. But you let me lead the way, just like you always did. Because usually you're really fucking good at leading the way, Rake, he shouted. No, she said evenly, pouring all her effort into not letting her voice rise. That's not on me. You never led the way because you were too scared to. His scowl loosened as his lips twitched with a response that stalled out in his throat. He seemed as shocked by her words as angry. It's the same reason you gave up that centurion posting with the vanguard for the lateral ranks of the titans, she continued. One that meant you'd never be in charge. And that's why you were so damn frustrated when everyone turned to you for guidance. You were terrified that if you were given command again, you'd fail. That it had all been a fluke, and you'd never be able to live up to that day at Redcliffe. Which is why you were so damn glad when I came along. Not because I understood what had happened to you, but because you knew I was someone you could push to the front while you fell behind. Whose shadow you could walk in, so you could ensure you'd never have to be more than second in command again. His shoulders swelled, jaw firm as he stared back at her, seeming unable to form a response. So yeah, I might be caught up in something that happened five years ago, she went on, but at least I'm not stuck 15 years in the past. Fury flashed across his eyes again, but at once it melted away, his features going slack with realization. He swallowed, wiping beads of sweat from his forehead with the back of his hand. Shit, he breathed. I get it, this is why. Her eyebrows pinched together, heart hammering in her chest during the heavy silence. What, she managed. This bootlicker act, void. What are you talking about? That was never the Quinn I knew. His eyes narrowed. 
You know, the person whose shadow I could walk in, he added bitterly. I never understood why you'd changed so much after Paxis. Why you were suddenly so worried about being a perfect little soldier all the time. Warmth flooded her face, stinging her partly healed burns and sending her bruised cheek throbbing. You think you can make up for what you did, he continued, by acting like some exemplary commander for a bunch of criminals at the edge of the universe? Because you fucking can't. That's not how it works. That has nothing to do with this. I'm only trying to make the best of a shitty situation. He shook his head, ignoring her. I always thought Lujan had just opted to pull the plug. That he couldn't stomach another wild goose chase across the galaxy, along a hundred trails of paper-thin intel. Or maybe he was getting pressure from the quorum to end it. That you were just the closest person he could point a finger at. So he'd send you away for a few years to act as a scapegoat, while the rest of the brass cooled off about it. But they don't even know, do they? She swallowed, shaking her head slowly. I don't think anyone but Lujan knows. So this, the Sentinels, the Argus, this was a real punishment. She nodded. All because you had a chance to end it and you threw it away. But all eyes were on the first back then, so Lujan couldn't just disappear you. And he loved you too much to execute you outright. His last words hung in the air, ringing harshly in her ears. She'd never been able to fully wrap her head around why Lujin had handled it the way he did. But she couldn't imagine it had come from a sense of devotion to her, considering her current circumstances. By all rights, he'd left her out here to die. I don't get it, Rake, Griffith went on. You've been a legionnaire since you were 16. How could you justify that level of betrayal? Outright defy an order like that? It wasn't about defying orders, Griff. It's way more complicated than that. It's xenocide. It was xenocide, he corrected, the sharpness rekindling in his tone. A chance at xenocide. Now it's just a mistake you can't fix. Adequin's seething stomach turned, and only when the floor thrummed did she realize it wasn't from anger, but because they'd dropped from warp speed. Jackin's voice came through her nexus. We're here, boss, cruising up to port now. The ship gave a short jerk as the ion engines engaged. She pressed the link to respond, doing her best to steady her shaking voice. Thanks, Jack. She swallowed hard as a volatile mix of frustration and worry and guilt strained against her ribs and twisted in a ruined stomach. Griffith stood with his hand over his eyes, squeezing his temples between his thumb and forefinger. His other hand braced on the edge of the exam table. Shit, are you okay? She asked, her words a dry, trembling croak. Just this damn headache. Griffith mumbled, shaking his head. Do you need another shot of Apex? It's just broken glass, he said. She gave a cursory look around the small med bay. What glass? Not back yet. She took a dry swallow, brow creasing. What? Griffith didn't look at her. He scratched the top of his head, then let out a long breath. Small mercies. She narrowed her eyes. It had to be a time ripple. Maybe the real Griffith had walked away when she wasn't looking, and a doppelganger had replaced him and started spouting nonsense. But it took less than a glance to survey the room and confirm there was no second Griffith anywhere in sight. Griff, I don't know what you're- She stopped short as his eyes closed. His knees gave way and he collapsed, head snapping hard against the metal decking. She rushed to him, dropping to the floor and gripping his shoulders. His body had gone completely limp, head lolling to one side. Griffith, he didn't stir. His thick muscles went rigid. A vice tightened around her throat, squeezing the air from her lungs. 
His shoulders twisted, then his whole body convulsed as his muscles spasmed. It lasted a few gut-wrenching seconds before he went limp again. Seconds later, his chest lifted up off the floor in another convulsion, his head hanging lifelessly. His eyelids slid open, showing only the whites of his eyes as they rolled back into his head, shocking her from her paralyzed state. Then things began to happen very quickly. She screamed into her nexus, and her imprints flooded her arms. She and Warner hauled Griffith's tremoring body through the hatch and into Karengate. In the med bay, someone pulled a cot away from the wall so they could set him down. She gripped Jackin's vest and yelled something at him. Mesa stood transfixed, and Cavallon ran his hands through his hair and stared at Griffith in stone-faced shock. Emery rushed up to face Cavallon, yelling at him to do something. Then his blue eyes, terrified and confused, locked onto Atequins. She had no idea why she'd even looked at him. She didn't know if he could help. Three degrees, but he wasn't a doctor. But he'd been her go-to problem solver for the last 24 hours, so why not this too? Cavallon finally blinked. Then his pale face flushed and his doe-eyed stare hardened. He gripped Jackin's arm and said something into his ear. Jackin took her by the shoulders and dragged her toward the door. Cavallon leaned over Griffith's twitching body, and the last thing she heard before Jackin ushered her out was Cavallon's brisk demand, get me a TPA cartridge. Chapter 31 Somehow, Cavallon got the man stabilized. He wasn't entirely sure what he'd done to accomplish it. He'd gone into some kind of shocked crisis state, an autopilot of sorts, where his brain filtered out every other bit of knowledge he'd ever acquired, and nothing remained except anything he'd ever heard, even in passing mention about emergency medicine. It had been that look Ray had given him, like he alone possessed the ability to save the man. Like he was her only hope, and if he failed, she'd be broken forever. It had kicked his brain into motion, forced him to put aside any and all self-doubt and just fix it. Now, Griffith lay motionless on the cot, breathing steadily. He remained unconscious, probably for the best. His body needed time to heal. Other than the unconscious Titan, Cavallon stood alone in the medbay. Mesa and Emery had taken the pyramid elsewhere to continue their study. Rake had been reluctantly pulled from Griffith's side by a concerned Jackin, insisting she needed to eat, sleep, shower, and she'd feel better in no time. From her ashen-haunted expression, Cavallon doubted she'd feel any different until Griffith woke up. Cavallon picked up a bio-tool and checked the Titan's vitals again though he didn't know what to consider normal for a two-meter-tall man as burly as Griffith. The green blips next to the numbers indicated they were within healthy ranges. He had no idea what to deduce from the man's symptoms. When they brought him in, he seemed to be suffering some kind of seizure, but according to Rake's account, he'd also exhibited symptoms of a stroke. Cavallon's eyes flickered to the diagnostic machine processing the blood sample he'd drawn earlier. It'd give more in-depth information than the bio-tool could alone, but it took its sweet time delivering the results. Though his pre-genetic engineering stint in pre-med afforded him a degree of familiarity with medical biology, he would still only have a limited understanding of the findings. Sure, he was technically a doctor. Two of his three degrees had been doctoral level. But a doctor of genetic engineering and astromechanical engineering, not a doctor of trying to save the EX's objectively good-looking Titan pal. Though Griffith appeared quite a bit older than Cavallon thought he'd be. Rake said he was 42. 45 technically, but 42 biologically. His hair had already gone to ash at the temples, and a fair amount of gray and white flecked his thick beard. The wrinkles lining his face, however had a depth to them Cavallon wouldn't have expected for just over 40. He'd attribute it to the hard life of a titan, but that didn't seem to have done Rake the same disservice. The diagnostic machine beeped, and Cavallon walked over to check the status. 
It only listed about half the results, none of which appeared particularly alarming, so he closed the display and shuffled to an empty cot beside the work table. He tossed the bio tool down, then cradled his bruised, aching midsection as he sat. He gritted his teeth and wiped moisture from the corner of his eye. His body still throbbed horribly from Snyder's attack, and all the unhindered movement and panic of the last hour hadn't helped in the least. He couldn't keep working like this, walking around acting like nothing was wrong. The bottle of banal painkillers Emery had given him sat on the edge of the table, and he palmed it open. He tossed three tabs down his throat and swallowed them dry, too sore to consider getting up again to find a water bottle. He didn't have high hopes it'd do much for his pain. Then he remembered. Rake had come back earlier with burn scars all along one side of her face. Jackin had similar, if not far worse burns. Though where his looked hours old, Rake's seemed to have been healing for days. Cavallon's royal imprints had often helped heal a stray cut or soothe a strained muscle, but never anything like that. Then again, he'd never suffered an injury that bad before. Rake had already proved his imprints were capable of a lot more than he realized. Maybe they could help with this too. He took a breath and tried to task them with healing his bruised guts. But the second they kicked into motion, he immediately regretted it. The way they clawed across his skin and dug into his sore muscles only made him feel worse. Though he gained a bit of relief in seeing some proof that the volatile interfacing hadn't completely broken them. He looked over at the stack of cartridges sitting atop one of the unopened cases of medical supplies and bit his lip in contemplation. One option remained that he hadn't tried yet. It had been over three months. What could one dose hurt? Even when he'd first started on Apex, he didn't get hooked for at least a week or two, he thought. Maybe. He couldn't really remember that time very clearly. It had taken a few days at the very least. He could take a small dose to get his pain under control and not become addicted. He definitely could. With a groan, he stood and hobbled over to the collection of cartridges, pulling out a single vial of apexidone. He sat back down, then loaded the dose into the side of a bio tool with trembling fingers. Switching the tool into injection mode, he pushed his sleeve up and held the tip to the inside of his elbow. He tried to steady his shaking hand as he inhaled slowly, staring at the clear liquid sloshing inside the cartridge. He flinched at the hiss of a door sliding open and looked up. Rake stood in the doorway, her damp, lightly tangled hair swept to one side. A few of her imprints buzzed over the skin on the unbruised side of her face, continuing to heal her burns. She stared at him placidly with bloodshot eyes, cheeks flushed pink, like she'd been crying. There was clear evidence, but Cavallon couldn't imagine it. She stared at the bio-tool in his hand, then looked at the open case of apexidone, then back to him. What are you doing? She asked, her tone eerily impassive. A wave of indignation washed over him that he couldn't quite account for. He glared and stood, tossing the tool down on the table. Do you always have to think the worst of me? Are you kidding? She growled, marching to stand in front of him. I've done nothing but think the best of you since you got here. He couldn't respond at first. Anger, which he now understood to be fueled by embarrassment, continued to flood through him. The tide subsided as he processed what she'd said. She was right. She'd done nothing but give him chances, despite the aggressive, snarky jerk he'd been in their first meeting. She'd put forth more effort in believing in him than he ever had himself, and even then expected more out of him. He owed it to her to keep trying. It's not what it looks like, he began, taking a steadying breath to settle his temper. I'm not taking it recreationally. Then why? I'm in pain. It fucking hurts, okay? I thought I could go without it, but it's too much. What hurts? He shook his head. It doesn't matter. It matters. Tell me what happened. Just some bruises. They'll heal. I'm fine. Rake's composed expression wavered. Bruises from what? He pressed his lips together and looked down at his feet. It'd be easy to tell her. 
let her storm off and take her rage about Griffith out on Snyder and his cronies. But then he was that guy. Though both his options were currently shitty, he felt better about being the silent outsider that got the shit beat out of him than the brown-nosing snitch that got the shit beat out of him. He couldn't fall back on her every time something bad happened. He had to learn to stand on his own. Listen, Rake said quietly. If you're in that much pain and you need to take it, take it. He looked back up to meet her gaze. If you're worried about the repercussions, she continued. I'll help. I'll restrict your access to it. I'll chuck the rest out the airlock if I have to. I promised to babysit you, remember? He blinked back at her. Void. No one had ever offered anything like that to him before. His bouts of addiction had been met with scorn and annoyance from his family and friends, and his rehabilitations had been undertaken alone time and time again. But here was Rake, mere days in, willing to be there, to slap the drugs out of his hands and tell him no, to have more concern for his well-being than he did himself. Cavallon swallowed the lump in his throat. And now she was giving him an out, permission to use it, alleviate the pain in the short term, and if it went bad, she'd hobble him back together after the fact. But he wasn't that guy anymore. At least he didn't want to be. He pulled up one corner of his mouth and gave her the most sincerely grateful nod he'd ever given. Thank you, sir, but I'm not gonna take it. Her warm eyes glistened, and her weary stoicism gave way to a hint of something. The shriveled optimist in him almost wanted to say respect, but it was probably just relief. He cleared his throat. Can you do one thing for me, sir? Maybe, she said tentatively. Restrict the admin controls for our imprints? Her face paled as she looked down at her nexus. Void. She grumbled as she opened a menu and tapped furiously into the screen. I forgot I did that. She finished typing and looked back up at him, cheeks flushed again, but this time with anger. He wet his dry lips, unsure if her rage was directed at him. She said nothing for a few seconds, then took a deep breath. You won't tell me who did it? He considered it again for the briefest moment. He'd love to see Rake beat the shit out of someone, but getting the anti-royalists in trouble wasn't likely to endear him to the rest of the Sentinels. Rake seemed to take note of his silence. She didn't press him further, but simply let out a sigh and said, I'm sorry, Cavallon. It's not your fault, he assured. But I think it'll be better if they don't see you protecting me all the time. You're not always going to be able to babysit me. She nodded then glanced over at Griffith. Have the results come back? Nothing out of the ordinary yet, but it's only about half done. I'm going to go check on Puck and Jack. Let me know when you find something out. Of course. Rake hovered for a few silent seconds, then turned and left. Cavallon closed his eyes and steadied his breath. Apex relapse, crisis averted. Time to refocus, busy himself find other ways to ignore his pain. He'd wanted a chance to gain their trust, to be useful. Rake wanted answers. He would find her answers. So he ignored the humming diagnostic machine and went to a stack of equipment crates in the corner of the room. He dug through each until he found a cytoscope headset and a pair of interface gloves. This tech, he knew. This was genetic engineering 101. He would take a peek at Griffith's cells and see what was going on. He dropped a sample of Griffith's blood into the side of the cytoscope, then pulled on the wired gloves and headset. Using the gloves to navigate, he zoomed in on the cells until they filled his range of vision. He focused inward and concentrated on the relevant memories, shoving aside all the mechanical and theoretical knowledge that wouldn't do him any good. It was time to focus on biology. Much to his chagrin, he'd been a natural at genetic engineering. He'd completed the degree in half the standard six-year allotment and outshone his peers and even professors by almost an absurd magnitude. He didn't know if he excelled just to get it over with as quickly as possible or if he'd actually wanted to master the subject, to arm himself against his grandfather by becoming more adept than even him. 
Either way, Cavallon had hated every bloody minute of it. He supposed he should be glad for it now. He might be able to use it to help Rake, to save Griffith. As he processed what he saw through the headset, however, that small solace faded. He continued to stare at the image, unable to comprehend it. He had no idea how a seizure or a stroke or any other ailment for that matter could cause what he saw. Lifting the headset off, he looked at Griffith, pale, wrinkled, tired. He'd been tremoring, seizing. Maybe what Cavallon saw in the scope wasn't the result of what happened, but the cause. He collected fresh blood from Griffith's arm, put in the new sample and checked it. He took a small skin scraping and examined that. Then he used the bio tool to biopsy Griffith's thyroid and had a look at those cells. Bone marrow next. All the same. Pulling off the headset and gloves, he let out a resounding sigh. He had to tell Rake. Or rather, someone had to tell Rake. He saw no reason he had to do it himself. Cavallon lingered anxiously just around the corner from the control room. He planned to wait and pounce on Jackin when he inevitably left to use the latrine, or eat, or do whatever else Optios did. In the meantime, Cavallon picked at his fingernails, paced nervously, even ducked away into a dark corner a few times when he heard footsteps coming up the hallway. He had zero interest in being cornered by Snyder again. After only a few minutes to Cavallon's intense relief, Jackin appeared, marching out the door toward base camp with a focused glower. Oh, uh, Optio? Cavallon called after him. North, sir? Jackin stopped short, one eyebrow quirking up. His burns cut up the right side of his neck and had singed a path straight through his black beard. Rake had done a good job cleaning it up, but it'd definitely leave a scar, at least until they could get back inward to a real medical facility. Cavallon didn't want to think about the likelihood of that at the moment. Yes, Oculus? Jackin asked, tone curt. I, uh, have some information about the Centurion. Great, let's grab Rake. Jackin turned back to the control room, but Cavallon gripped his arm to stop him. Jackin stared at Cavallon's hand, then looked back up with a heavy glare. I am, um, Cavallon stammered, then let go. I was thinking I'd tell you, then you could tell her. Jackin scowled. Seems much easier if you just tell her directly. Cavallon lowered his brow and his voice came out dry and serious. I shouldn't be the one to tell her. Jackin's face fell flat. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Rake stood in the doorway, arms crossed, her now mostly dry hair pulled up into a loose bun, eyebrows raised. She stared at Cavallon and Jackin expectantly. Cavallon swallowed down a lump. Well, he gave a wary glance over Rake's shoulder where Puck and a few others hovered around terminals, working diligently, still trying to restart the gate most likely. He cleared his throat. Let's talk in private. Rake's face fell. Then she nodded curtly and stepped between them to march into the hallway. They followed her back to the med bay, and when the door slid shut behind them, Rake turned to Cavallon and crossed her arms. Out with it, Oculus. I decided to take a closer look at some cells, Cavallon began carefully, just to see if I could get an idea about what's going on. And? And, well... There's some homeostatic imbalance, some dysplasia that implies a maturation level that I really don't understand. The most troubling thing is that there's an unusual amount of atrophy. Okay, Rake said patiently. Now pretend like I don't have a doctorate in genetic engineering. Yes, so, he said quickly, then cleared his throat. Griffith seems to be undergoing an increased rate of cellular senescine. Rake leveled a flat look at him and shook her head slowly back and forth. He sighed as he realized he was pulling a mesa. Right, sorry, his, uh, his cells appear to be aging. Aging? She asked plainly. Jackin's black eyebrows furrowed. Like, abnormally so? Yes, Cavallon said warily. Why? Jackin asked. 
Kevalon swallowed. I don't know. I'm uh, pretty confused by what I'm seeing, to be honest. Can you tell me what happened to the Tempest? He listened intently as Jackin told him about the Tempest's fate at the hands of the collapsing divide. Rake stood in silence the whole time, arms crossed and chewing on her poor lip like she held it solely responsible for what was happening. When Jackin finished, Cavallon took a moment to process everything and grimaced as he realized what it could mean. It was shitty. Really, really shitty. He looked at Rake, who stared at him with wide eyes, a narrow fragment of that same haunted look she'd had when they'd first brought Griffith in. What are you thinking? She asked. Cavallon decided to take a page from Mace's book and begin with a disclaimer. This is only a theory? Rake nodded her understanding, and Cavallon went on. If he pulled away from the gravity at the divide... Without the dampening effects of the Taurus chamber and without undergoing the proper deceleration, then his physical presence in that space-time may have ceased, but his cells may have continued at that rate. Rake didn't respond, continuing to stare at him, blinking slowly. It's like time dilation, in a way, he continued, unsure if they were following his logic. He physically left, but never slowed down, and wasn't protected from it. His body is still going that same rate, so he appears accelerated in a sense, relatively speaking. Or to him, this gravity is slower than he is, than his cells are. I'm assuming he's perceiving things properly, or I imagine he'd have been acting very strange. He tore his look from Rake's dazed expression to Jackin. Am I making any sense? Jackin nodded brow creased deep. Cavallon sighed. Gravitational tempology, for the record. By far the most useless offshoot of his studies, but now it had arrived in all its glory, combining with genetic engineering and his most basic understanding of medical biology to deliver Rake a punch in the gut. Okay, Rake said quietly, then turned to Jackin. So his cells are aging at an increased rate? The Optio looked confused, seeming as unsure as Cavallon about why she chose to ask him the question. Jackin exchanged a wary glance with Cavallon, then looked back at Rake, his brow softening. Sounds like it, boss. So, he's dying? She confirmed. Well, Jackin's voice caught. I suppose so, yes. What can we do? Rake asked. Jackin frowned. Rake, I... He looked to Cavallon with wide eyes. Cavallon cleared his throat. Um, nothing. She turned her doleful expression onto him, and Cavallon regretted ever answering. That look had been far less distressing when it had been directed at Jackin. Nothing? She asked. I'm not a doctor, he said quickly. But no. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with a cure for something like that. It's like asking for a recipe for immortality. Would it stop if he joined back up with the divide? She asked. Stop? No, he began, mind racing as he tried to process her train of thought. I mean, yes, the balance might be restored, but I don't think it'd resolve itself once you left the divide, even if he slowed down properly the next time. He'd have to ride it forever and all that'd be doing is changing the perception of his lifespan. So it's permanent, she asked, eyes glistening. Then he felt it, that sensation he'd been hovering on the edge of, failing her, disappointing her, like he'd been gutted with a white-hot iron rod. We can't stop or reverse the aging process, he said quietly. It's just not possible, just like time, forward, never backward. Her eyes flickered with recognition, then her tone became fervent. Then how do you explain what we saw on the Tempest? He quirked an eyebrow. What did you see on the Tempest? The past, a time ripple. I saw me and Griff doing the exact same thing we'd just done moments before. Cavallon looked to Jackin with wide eyes. Instead of the look of shock he expected, Jackin nodded. I saw it too, Jackin agreed. Cavallon shook his head. That's not possible. He scratched his lengthening stubble with both hands. 
Not possible, he repeated firmly. Maybe a quirk, because of how they pulled away from it? A reflection, maybe? He filtered through his memories, all his studies, everything he thought he knew about anything. He shook his head again. I'm sorry, I just, I don't know how that happened. Either way, I don't think that changes anything for Griffith. The vestige of hope that had briefly glimmered across her eyes faded away, and that iron rod buried in Cavallon's gut wrenched and took an even deeper plunge. Right, she said quietly. I'm sorry, he began, but she'd already disappeared into the hallway. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.